0: going to conclude uh, this particular series that we've been in, Despicable Me. We've been looking at the minions over the last several weeks, internal enemies of the heart. We've looked at guilt and greed and jealousy, and now perhaps the most dangerous, anger. Let's just ask real quick, be honest with me, how many of you, not today, maybe not yesterday, but somewhere in your life's journey, you felt a little bit angry at someone? Would you just raise your hand? Okay, so some of you, and so this might apply to uh, several of us. I say it's the most dangerous because of the potential of leaving a trail of destruction in our wake. And this could be long-term anger, it could be immediate anger, something that just immediately ticks you off. But the idea is this. The Bible says that love is not easily angered. It doesn't say that love doesn't get angry, because a lot of times, the loving thing to do is to get angry. A lot of times, love does get angry. Sometimes anger is the most appropriate response to a situation. However, what I want to attempt to unfold and unpack for you this morning is for us all to realize and agree together that anger is a choice. Our anger is a choice. Whether we've been holding on to something for a very long time or whether something just occurs in the moment, anger, our response, our emotion is a choice. Let me demonstrate it for you. How many of you have ever been to Disneyland? Okay, you go to Disneyland, and you go up to the ticket booth, and they tell you how much your tickets are going to be. Anger. (laughs) Then you walk through the gates, and you see the smiles on your kids, and the anger goes away. And then lunchtime comes along, and you buy a Coke. $12 for a Coke? Anger but we switch it back and forth because anger is a choice God gave you and me the capacity to get angry if you don't ever get angry check your pulse you might just be a vegetable now let me ask you a question did God ever get angry? sure he did at the right things did Jesus ever get angry? yes he did God has given you and me the capacity to get angry, but it must be managed. It's got to be controlled. Anger out of control is very destructive to the relationships that are around us. But anger in control can be an asset. Now, there are four ways that people commonly express their anger. These are learned responses. Everybody expresses anger in a way that they've learned to express it. Some of you learned it from your parents. Some of you learned it from your friends or from your wife or your husband. You are a certain type of anger. That's the first thing we're going to look at this morning. What anger type are you? Now, I don't know if you're a social media fan or not, but if you go on Facebook, sometimes there's these tests. What kind of tree are you? What character in a TV show are you? And there's six billion of these kind of tests to figure out who you are in them. I'm not really sure what it does to the self-esteem or self-image, but there are these tests, and we're going to take one this morning. We're going to look at four anger types in Scripture, and you may find yourself resonating with one of them in particular. The first one is Cain. We know Cain from way back when, right? Old Testament. One of the first guys to get angry and his expression didn't pan out too well. But we talk about the phrase, raising Cain. For some of you, this is you. Look at Genesis chapter four, verse five. It says, Cain became furious and scowled in anger. Don't you know people like that? When they get angry, It just their whole facial expression changes. They're so mad and furious that they scowl in anger. And while they were in the field, Cain and his brother. Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Now, that's extreme. You see, wow, I almost thought I was Cain there because I do explode, but I've never, you know, murdered anyone over my anger. Well, let's just unpack it a little bit. Cain was a walking time bomb, a hair-triggered temper. No matter what would occur, he responded and reacted. He let things fly. Some of us, we throw things. We cuss. We yell. We stomp and we we stomp up and down. We throw little temper tantrums. Oftentimes, this type of person or this type of anger uh, has regrets. We get embarrassed by our actions. And so we regret what we've said and what we've done. We have to go back and we've got to apologize. We feel ashamed. We regret the anger. We all know this type of anger. We've seen this type of anger. And some of you express your anger in this way. Some of you are the type of person that drives home from work and you approach your driveway and you can't get into the driveway, let alone the garage. And with it, there's a bike in the middle of the the driveway and so you're a little upset and so you lay on the horn hoping those kids are going to come running out and move the bike. And you lay on that horn for 30 seconds and no one comes out but a neighbor saying, what is going on? And you put the car in park and you run inside, you're angry, you're stomping, and then the phone rings. Hello? Hello? You all know that type of emotion. Why? Because anger is a choice. Anger is a type, and Cain may be you. The second type is Jeremiah. Jeremiah 15. I stayed by myself, and I was filled with anger. Why do I keep on suffering? Why are my wounds incurable? Why won't they heal? I'm holding it in. Would you underline that? I'm holding it in, and it's killing me. Now, a Jeremiah type is an Direct opposite of a cane type. This is the silent type. This is the silent kind of angry. This is where you hold it in and clam up instead of blowing up. You don't reveal your feelings. You deny your anger. You pretend that you're not mad. You won't admit that you're mad. You conceal how you feel. It's the crockpot version of anger, stewing and simmering all on the inside. Something has happened, something was said, and inside you just let it kind of brew for a long time before it finally comes out of your mouth or you have to go deal with it. This type of person is susceptible to high blood pressure, ulcers, headaches, Tension headaches, back aches, all kinds of things that can be traced back to bottled up anger. There's a third type. Whether you express it right away or whether you hold it in, there's a third type. And this is the prodigal son's brother. We're all familiar usually with the prodigal son story, but this is about the brother. Luke chapter 15 says the elder uh, elder brother was so angry he would not go into the party. So his father went out and pleaded with him. This is the pro at throwing a pity party. This is self-punishing and passive. Whenever someone else gets angry, they say, well, it must be my fault. What's wrong with me? Their favorite words are, I should have, I must have, I have to, I ought to. They're always waiting for someone else to come and say, hey, are you okay? What's wrong? Come on into the party. Say, nope, I'm so mad, I'm so angry, I'm not going in. And that's the way we treat it. And some of us are that anger type. The number one sign of this anger type is depression. I don't mean clinical depression, but I mean a depression that is just internalized anger that wants to throw the pity party so that someone else feels sorry for you. Well, maybe you're the fourth type the Pharisee. So, oh no, not the Pharisee. Those are always someone else. Well, look at Luke chapter 6. It says they were furious and they began to plot with each other what they might do to Jesus. These people were. Ones that chose to not get mad, they got even. Oh, you know them. You know some people like that. These are people that figure out a way to get you back. You did this to me, you said it to me, and I am going to retaliate. They retaliate in an underhanded way. They might retaliate through sarcasm or teasing, and their words become hurtful, and then they say things like, can't you just take a joke? I'm just kidding. Religious people often choose this form, Because it seems more spiritual than just exploding. To their face, they are very nice. But once they turn their back, they cut them down. What type are you? Are you the cane that just explodes, just flies off the handle? Are you the Jeremiah that just internalizes it and keeps it inside? Are you the prodigal son's brother who just wants to throw a pity party? Are you the Pharisee who are very nice on the outside, but behind closed doors, you're very critical and judgmental. Everybody gets angry just in different ways. You and I are normally one of these ways. And once you can identify, once you take your test to find out what type you are, you can begin to unpack your feelings of anger. Anger. But the second thing we need to understand is why is it that we get angry? We need to stop and think what is it that makes me so mad? What is it that just ticks me off? What is the thing that can happen in the moment, or what is the thing that has happened over time that just makes me so mad? Whenever you and I get angry, it's always the result of one of three things. The first is this we get angry when we hurt whether that's physically or emotionally, when we're hurt, we get angry. If you hit your thumb with a hammer, you're gonna get angry. If you close your hand in the door, you're gonna get angry. Doors don't make you angry, but closing your hand on them certainly does. In a relationship, when somebody's hurt, when somebody's been hurt, they get angry. We get hurt by their words or by their actions. Oftentimes, we feel our anger is a result of not getting something we want or we believe we deserve. Something feels like it's been taken from us. Something has been stolen. Someone has caused an action against us, and we have been robbed. For some of you, you feel like your family has been stolen. Your best years have been taken. You feel that you have been robbed of blank. Fill it in. What do you feel that you have been robbed of? Because once we feel that, now we feel owed. This has been taken from me, this has been stolen from me, and I feel owed. I feel owed an apology, I feel owed a raise, I feel owed an opportunity, I feel owed a second chance. The problem here is when we've been hurt, oftentimes it's very difficult to get over. And so we hold on to it for a very long time. A second reason that we get Angry is we get angry when we're frustrated. Nothing seems to work right. Nothing is going quite our way. We're forced to wait. I hate to wait. hate to wait in line. hate to wait in traffic. hate to be on a freeway in the fast lane and you're stopped. We just get angry and road rage comes about, doesn't it? What's going on up there? There better be blood. That's all I know. You need to ask yourself, why are you so frustrated is it really worth getting angry over? Rude drivers waiting in line, spilled food, it might be irritating or inconvenient, but it's not the end of the world. But we allow our frustrations to fester and boil, and we express them in anger. Sometimes out loud, sometimes internally, sometimes just putting our arms in our, crossing our arms, and other times just cutting someone down third reason we get angry is we get angry when we're afraid when you push an animal back into a corner they get afraid and eventually they're going to attack back when people get pushed so far that they're afraid or feel threatened they get angry when one's self-worth is attacked when one feels embarrassed publicly when one feels criticized or rejected they react and they react with a seed of anger James helps us understand why we get angry. James chapter 4, verse 1. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires, the battle within you? You want something, but don't get it. You kill and you covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and you fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. Sometimes our reactions are a direct correlation to our relationship with God. When our relationship with God isn't solid, when our relationship with God is weak, we tend to fly off the handle. We tend to express this emotion of anger. We hold on to bitterness and resentment, and it can be related right back to our heart condition, which is how Josh opened this particular series. So when it comes to guilt and greed, and jealousy and anger you've got to look at the heart because oftentimes there's a heart condition going on that's causing us to express things a certain way and we're allowing circumstances external circumstances to be the reason so whether it's laundry on the floor or a bike in the driveway or some driver that's being an idiot out there all of a sudden our expression is not because of the driver not because of the bike not because of the socks on the floor it's because of a heart condition our heart isn't right with God And oftentimes that reveals itself in anger. We know from these verses in James and from the illustration of Cain that sometimes anger to its its extreme can cause murder. Now, I don't think anyone are murderers here over their anger, but some of us have certainly murdered a relationship. We've killed a relationship due to our anger. So, what are the consequences? What are the consequences? We may be less likely to get angry if we realize what it's going to cost us. There's always a price tag to when we get angry. The Bible is very specific about the damage that uncontrolled anger does. The Proverbs lays out for us very nicely a progression of what can happen when anger is a part of our emotion, when we don't have a grip or control on anger. Look what it says. Hot tempers cause arguments. Anger causes Mistakes, people with hot tempers do foolish things. In Proverbs eleven twenty nine, the fool who provokes his family to anger and resentment will finally have nothing worthwhile left. If we don't get this in and under control, it will destroy the relationships with those that we say we love the most. We fly off the handle, constantly ready to blow. Keeping it inside will destroy relationships around us. We will do dumb things, and we will have lots of regrets. And the question is, is it really worth it? Especially when anger is simply a choice. So what's the remedy? What's the remedy for anger? Well, the remedy for anger is forgiveness. And we don't usually like to hear that because, say, look, I'm just angry. I'm just ticked off right now. I'm just a little upset right now, and I deserve to be you know what was said to me, you know what was done to me, I've earned this, I'll get over it, I'll be fine, don't talk to me about forgiveness, no, the reality is since it's a choice, since anger is a choice, so is the remedy, look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31, it says, get rid, and underline those words, will you, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, anger, harsh words, slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Now the Apostle Paul gives us a list because in case we say, oh no, I don't really get that angry. You know, I may just get a little mad or a little upset, but I don't really get angry. Well, Paul says, well, if there's any bitterness if there's any little bit of rage, if there are any words of harshness that come from your mouth, if there's any slander behind closed doors, in fact, any type of evil behavior, let's just throw it all together so that we're all included. Get rid of it. Instead, verse 32, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Now Paul says, get rid of. It's just not that easy to get rid of an emotion. The word or the phrase there really means to remove it. Think of it this way. Have you ever walked through a spider web? Or have you ever seen someone walk through a spider web? What do you do when you walk through a spider web? You walk through and, ah, yeah, and you start pulling it out of your hair. It's not too hard for me. You pull it out of your eyes, out of your mouth. It's all in your clothes. You're picking it off. No one walks through a spider web and says, oh, I'll get to that later. No, we go through it immediately. We want to remove it from our body. And that's what Paul is saying. Once you feel the seed of anger, bitterness, rage, harsh words, any type of evil behavior, remove it from you immediately. And Paul tells us how to do that. He gives us the antidote. He gives us the idea of here is how you remove it. Here is how you take care of the remedy for forgiveness. You replace it. You replace replace it by being kind and compassionate and forgiving. And you allow that to be your heart rather than a heart of anger. Now, there are five simple choices that we make as it relates to forgiveness. Let me give them to you real quick. The first one is this. The choice not to get even. If you want to remove it from your body, if you want to remove it from your internal heart condition... You have to choose not to get even. Romans chapter 12, verse 17. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Do things in such a way that everyone can see that you are honorable. We may have every right to get even. Something was said to you as harsh, it was hurtful. Something was done to you, and you may have every right to get even. But scripture says true forgiveness chooses not to. That's a heart condition. That's a heart change. The second choice that we get to make is the choice not to keep score. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter, 15 descriptive words to help define the idea of love. One of them being love keeps no record of when it's been wronged. It's an accounting term. It doesn't keep a ledger of wrongs. I remember when you did this to me last year during Labor Day. I remember when you did this to me last Friday. And you've got all these dates. And And in marriage relationships, you don't get hysterical. You get historical. You bring out all the history of the past. And you beat up your spouse with it. Oh, I don't get angry often. (laughs) Love doesn't hold a grudge. God gave us the ability to forgive. The problem is He didn't give us the ability to forget. And we'll come back to that in a moment. If it were easy for us to do this, we wouldn't realize the consequences. God never said that not keeping score would be easy. He just said it would be worth it. Another choice we get to make is a choice to not demand conditions. When it comes to forgiveness, there ought not be any strings attached to our forgiveness. Look at Romans 11, verse 6. If they are saved by God's kindness, then it's not by their good works. For in that case, God's wonderful kindness would not be what it really is, free and undeserved. You see, that's the grace of God. God. We can't earn our way into heaven. Rather, we were given the grace of God, something free and undeserved, our sins forgiven past, present, and future, free and undeserved, grace-filled. If we say, I will forgive you if, I will forgive you when, then that demands a deal. Grace says there are no deals. Grace is unconditional. Grace is free and undeserved, no strings attached. If God wanted us to offer more for our sins than what Jesus already did on the cross, that's conditional and does not include grace. So the question this morning in regards to your forgiveness, does your forgiveness include strings Are you saying, I will forgive them once they call me? I will forgive them once they write a note of apology. I will forgive them once they... That's conditional. And God is saying, your anger is a heart condition. It's your heart that needs to be worked on. Forgiveness is not demanding conditions. Fourth choice. Our fourth choice is not to withhold the relationship. Look at Romans 12. Do your part to live in peace with everyone as much as possible. Verse 19, dear friends, never avenge yourselves. Leave that to God for it's written, I will take vengeance. I will repay those who deserve it. God has a much better repayment plan than we could ever come up with. Instead, do what the scriptures say. If your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink, and they'll be ashamed of what they've done to you. Don't let evil get the best of you, but conquer evil by doing good. That's called reconciliation. Reconciliation says, I'll leave the vengeance to God. I'm gonna choose to be kind and compassionate and forgiving. When they're hungry, I'll feed them. When they're thirsty, I'll give them something to drink. I will reconcile the relationship. Now, are there cases that may be impossible? Sure. That person won't speak to you. That person has moved across the country. That person has passed away. That person has been imprisoned. And it's impossible to receive or or, 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 uh, obtain reconciliation. The goal is for us to begin to remove resentment from our heart. Reconciliation is favored, but it may not always be possible. And so the intention is that we can lessen resentment in our heart. You've heard it said, I'll forgive them, but I won't forget. I won't forget what they said. I won't forget what they've done. And we harbor it and we hold on to it. Oh, certainly I've forgiven them, but I have not forgotten. Well, good. Because that leads us to number five. The choice not to forget. You say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. I thought it was forgive and forget. I was brought up that way. Parents said, forgive and forget your brother. We teach our kids that today. Forgive and forget. The reality is forgiving and forgetting is a pipe dream. It's never even seen in the scripture except by God alone. God is the only one that has an amnesia issue. He takes our sin, he removes it, and he forgets it. He remembers it no more forgetting for us this side of heaven is a healing process. You may never forget. It's like going to a courtroom and you're sitting in the juror box and something is said by one of the attorneys and the judge says, strike that from the record. Impossible. Once it's been said, once it's been done, impossible to forget. So rather than forget, how about if we remember? This leads us to our last point. The reason for forgiveness The reason for forgiveness is to remember. Remember what? Let me give you three things. The first is this. Remember what was done for you, not done to you. It's called perspective. Let's go back to our Ephesians 4, verse 32 verse. It says, instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. We realize that this is the replacement value. We can remove this anger issue. We can remove this bitterness. We can remove these harsh words. We can remove these feelings from us by replacing it with kindness and compassion and forgiveness, just as. Underline that, highlight it, circle it, star it, just as. Just as. Just as what? Just as God through Christ has forgiven you and me. Just as. We don't forgive people because they deserve it. We forgive people because we have been forgiven. You and I will never have to forgive anyone more than we have been forgiven. That's perspective. In order for God to forgive us, it cost him his son. In order for us to forgive others, it might cost us our pride. That seems a little out of balance, doesn't it? But it's perspective. I choose to forgive what was done to me. I choose to forgive what was said to me because of what was done for me. That's perspective. So rather than forgive and forget, we remember. We remember what what was done for us rather than to us. Secondly, we remember to replace resentment and revenge. Now here's the thing about resentment. Resentment is unreasonable. It doesn't make any sense. It's illogical, it's irrational, and it's certainly not worth the effort. Job chapter 5 verse 2 says, To worry yourself to death with resentment would be foolish, senseless thing to do. And you know people that have harbored and hold on to resentments. Ecclesiastes, written by Solomon, says it's foolish to harbor a grudge. It doesn't make sense. Why? Because you can't go back and change the past. If it's already been said, it's already been done, you can't go back and change it. It is what it is, and so therefore, resentment is unreasonable. You can't change it. you got to deal with it. Secondly, resentment is unhelpful. When you get resentful, it always hurts you more than it does the person you're resentful about. Look at Job 18, verse 4. You who tear yourself to pieces in your anger. Do you know people who are just tearing themselves apart over resentment? They just can't get over the past. And so it keeps coming up in every conversation. It comes up in every attitude. It comes up in everything that they do, and they're tearing themselves apart. While you and I are stewing and spewing, while we're ranting and raving, huffing and puffing, they, the offender, is going on with their life. Some of you are allowing people from your past, a former mate, a parent, a teacher who made you miserable back when to continue to make you miserable today. Resentment imprisons us. It doesn't release us to live life the way God intended. Thirdly, resentment is unhealthy. Look at Job again, chapter 21. Some men stay healthy till the day that they die. Others have no happiness at all. They live and die with bitter hearts. And you know some people that have passed from this place to the next. And you know that they took their bitterness with them. You can't be resentful and happy at the same time. If you're holding on to a grudge, you're holding on to a hurt. And it's unhealthy. People say, watch what you eat. It's not what you eat. It's what's eating at you that makes the bigger difference in your life. There's a strong relationship between your physical health and your spiritual health. There's a strong relationship between your emotional makeup and your physical makeup. There's a relationship between sin and sickness. Now, I'm not saying that all sickness is caused by sin because it's not. But a lot of problems that you and I carry around are brought on by ourselves by holding on to grudges. And we need to release them because it's unhealthy for us. The third thing that we need to remember, forgive and forget, no, forgive and remember. Remember to repeat it. Remember to repeat forgiveness over and over and over again. Look at Matthew 18. Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me seven times? Peter was being generous. In his culture happened to me once, I'm not going to let it happen again. But Peter was trying to understand this forgiveness thing and said, well, you know, he could be generous by saying two or three times, but he threw out there seven. And how'd the Lord reply? No. No, Peter, not seven times, but rather 70 times seven. Now, was Jesus coming up with the magic number of 490? I don't think so. It isn't about 490 times we forgive someone. It's about keeping on, repeating over and over forgiveness for as long as it takes until you can finally let go of it. If you haven't let go of it, if you're still holding on to it, if you're still harboring it, it's time to let go of it. It's time to do it for the 300th time, the 400th time, the 900th time. It's time to let go of it. Forgiveness is a decision to cancel the debt. Something's been taken. Something's been stolen. And we feel Owed. A debt has occurred. And what forgiveness is about is canceling that debt. Not waiting for payment, repayment, or justice. Simply canceling the debt. Just like God did. Just as God has forgiven you and me. Just as. As much as God has forgiven you, He's asked us to forgive others. Get rid of the debt with forgiveness. Kill it with kindness and compassion. And remember, it's about how much you've been forgiven. Matthew chapter 6, verse 15. If you refuse to forgive others, your Father in heaven will not forgive your sins. I have no idea the total ramifications of that particular verse. But what I do understand it to say is this that unresolved anger can result in self-destruction. And some of you are self-destructing because you allow your emotions, your words, your bitterness, your rage, your behaviors to not cause you to honor God, but allow yourself to choose this emotion of anger and fly off the handle or stew on it on the inside Or throw your pity party. Or cut someone when they turn their back. It's time to let go. You may say, Ron, you have no idea how much I've been hurt. I probably don't. But what I do know is that grace was never promised to be easy. And what I do know is how difficult it must be for God to forgive you and me on a daily basis. Because I know our sins are forgiven past, present, and future. But if you're anything like me, you've got issues every day. And God who chose to give his son as the ultimate sacrifice for those those sins forgives us on a daily basis. And all he says is in return. For the sacrifice of my boy, all I ask is that you forgive those around you. Quit harboring. Quit being resentful. And let it go. Let it go. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? I have no idea what makes you mad or upsets you. I have no idea who maybe you're mad at or what they've taken away from you. But I wonder if today is the day that you finally cancel that debt and quit imprisoning yourself with resentment and bitterness and let that person, that situation off the hook. I'm going to ask you a question just with your heads bowed eyes closed I want to pray for those that feel like they may have a little minion a minion of anger in their life if you have that little bit of anger and I can pray for you this morning would you just slip up your hand yeah bunches of us that's for sure Heavenly Father thank you thank you for forgiving us of our sins Thank you for paying the ultimate price of all time, sacrificing your sin for the wrongs that we have done. Lord, nothing we do can even come in comparison to that. And I pray, God, that this morning, that each one that raised their hand, each one that didn't, would understand that it's time to quit harboring a grudge. It's time to quit holding on to the past. It's time to cancel the debt of the wrong that was done to us. God, I pray that they would let it go today. And they finally would be released in freedom from the prison that's been holding them of resentment and bitterness. Men and women, we go through forgiveness not because anyone deserves it. We forgive others because of how much we've been forgiven. And we probably take that for granted sometimes. I pray that our hearts and our attitudes, Lord, would be ones to replace it, to remove it, from our bodies, remove it from our internal heart, and allow, allow kindness and compassion and forgiveness to overwhelm it. God, we're grateful for what you did for us on the cross, and we say thanks this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.